Welcome to Vox Chats, episode 4, Cannabis and the Legal Framework in Quebec. My name is Coco, I am the Director of Development at Project Moscan, and I'm delighted to bring this podcast episode to you all today. Um, just a little short background on Project Moscan. We are a bilingual cannabis education platform built by youth for youth in the city of Montreal. Voxcan is affiliated to the Groupe de Recherche de Intervention Psychosociale, GRIP, through a two-year grant from the Dication Régionale de la Santé Publique de Montréal. Our work consists mostly of coordinating and facilitating roundtable discussions with Montreal youth and to collect youth testimonies perspectives and questions on different dimensions of cannabis use, um, mostly its health effects, social and legal implications, and educational strategies. We very much believe that young people in Quebec should be involved and have their voices heard in the process of creating educational material and programs on substance use, which really affect them and their ability to make informed decisions for themselves. We think that their insights and recommendations serve to inform the creation and implementation of training workshops aimed at educators and healthcare professionals in adult centers, uh, adult youth centers, CGEPs, and universities across the city. Following the cannabis legalization in Canada and also in Quebec, um, many young people and adults have felt neglected in terms of the available evidence-based information and concrete educational strategies regarding cannabis. Um, the substance that is not unknown but still um, generates many questions despite its entry on the shelves of legal dispensaries across the country. So today, we welcome you to our fourth episode of our podcast series named Vox Chats. Um, the series really aims to pass the mic on to the young people who have participated in our workshops and roundtables so that they can really speak openly and honestly about their experiences and perspectives on different dimensions of cannabis use while giving them the opportunity to engage our guest experts uh, with whom new strategies and approaches can can emerge. In this episode, we have the honor to hear from two law students from Université de Montréal, Katia Stella Assoye and Ousmane Diagne, who are very interested in delving deeper into the legal dimensions of cannabis use in Quebec. With our legal expert here, Violaine Panashi from Rockridge Venture Law, so, without further ado, um, Katya Nuzmang, our two youth guests will be engaging in an open conversation uh, with the legal expert um, with my slight moderation. So, today we have two law students from University de Montréal, Katya Stella Assoye and Uzmang Daeng who are interested in delving deeper into the legal dimensions of cannabis use in Quebec with our legal expert, uh, Violaine Panashi from Rockridge Venture Law. So without further ado, uh, Katia and Uzmai, our two youth guests, will be engaging in an open conversation uh, with Violaine 
And so they will be taking over to ask some questions and um, and propose anything that you have in mind with VLN. So we can get just get started with the basics. Um, maybe VLN, you can pitch in here. Um, how is cannabis legally regulated in Canada um, in terms of possession, consumption, sale and purchase, just very basic um, principles that people might want to know? Yeah, so um, as I think everyone knows, cannabis is federally legal in Canada. Um, we have the 2018 Cannabis Act that uh, legalized the substance throughout the country. Um, and then the act also gave provinces the power to um, add any type of uh, standard or law that would be more strict than the act. So, for instance, uh, I think one thing that people know is that um, provinces can change the age where people are allowed to use uh, cannabis within their borders. Um, we have Quebec, which I'm sure we'll get into later on, that has now uh, heightened the age to 21. Um, and most of the other provinces have it at 19. Um, and then in terms of possession, the act just um, sets out how many grams you're allowed um, to possess on your person. Um, it sets a huge amount of the act, uh, explains that uh, we want to protect our youth. So there are several uh, limitations in terms of packaging, in terms of edibles, um, anything of that sort that would make the product more attractive to youth that um, is limited. Would, would you happen to have any like further information on why in Quebec we decided to bump it up to 21, whereas, as you said, every other province kind of kept it down at, like, 19? Yeah, so um, the the age was actually done based on a study. Uh, I, I think at the start it was actually 18 in Quebec, and uh, there was an amendment which increased the age to 21, and the purpose behind that is definitely to protect our youth um, there were a few studies that were done where, um, who knows if this is, you know, based on the study or more just based on the province trying to be, uh, Quebec as usual, having certain additional protections in terms of age for the youth, like we know with our alcohol. Um, there were some studies done to say that said that, um, in terms of brain development, it may be better if the age were higher and it just made better sense in terms of developmental uh, issues that could occur if you start using at 18. Um, yeah, so that that was the main reason behind it. And would you say that like the act kind of address the needs of the country? I know we can speak further on on uh, if it met the needs of the youth, but uh, according to you, uh, country-wise, did it meet the needs? Um, could you explain more what you need by the needs? Are you saying in terms of preferences of users or? Um, yeah, I guess if you can speak on user wise or uh, even if we're talking about criminal justice wise, um, was that something that we needed um, at that time? Right. So, I mean, I have a very interesting perspective since I am practicing in the States right now where um, we're kind of in the reverse where certain states have legalized it and there's no federal act that's legalizing it. 
Mm -hmm. I would say that Canada really did a great job at legalizing it federally because they took away all of those issues where uh, traveling with cannabis would make you liable for like criminal charges or they took away a lot of like issues in terms of police, you know, maybe going after people um, of color or people who aren't doing anything wrong, but just using that as a means to get to a, a deeper charge against them or just, you know, it, it took away a lot of those systemic issues. Um, and I think that that's a, a, a great thing. I think that um, the act is broad enough that um, allowing the provinces to come in and do what they know best for their people and within their borders was a, a great idea too. Um, so yeah, I think that they did meet uh, those needs. I do think that um, the emphasis on the youth and the fact that you can't necessarily have certain packagings, I think that that's kind of a hindrance on the marketplace in general. I think that um, perhaps there was too much of an emphasis on on that area of society, whereas like there's this really cool, lucrative business that's kind of being hampered on right now. Um, Katia Uzman, given this context um, provided by VLN, do you think that the current uh, regulation of cannabis in Quebec serves the youth uh, of Quebec or more generally in Canada? Um, do you see that that's serving youth's need? Um, I think that at first, um, I thought that in regards to the needs of the youth, being able to like know where the product comes from, if we're talking about buying from government uh, dispensaries, that was like a huge plus. Uh, but after kind of asking around, uh, you know, asking my friends or my acquaintances that were habitual users, I found out that that wasn't actually the case because they had built before uh, legalization, uh, they had built like kind of a network of uh, where they could be able to buy products. And they there wasn't really a fear factor. It was more the risk factor that was kind of present. But because they had built such an intricate network, kind of strangely enough, built on, on trust, the, the fear factor wasn't there. The risk factor wasn't there. So my first assumption that, okay, so now that's legalized, now that we know where we're getting it from, like people are going to be super overjoyed, like people, you know, aren't going to be that afraid anymore, but that wasn't really the case. So um, in regards to that, I was kind of surprised. Um, I don't know if you want to speak on, let's say, waste. Or... Um, well, first of all, um, I would say that in that sense, I feel like the legalization kind of mostly benefited, I would say, new users, like someone who had never touched weed at all in mm -hmm. their life. And then for the first time, their first experience being with a government dispensary, um, in that sense, I guess, the fear, the risk, everything would be like, it would feel more comfortable to do so and it would be easier to experiment. But um, like Katya said, as we explored our own um, network, our own friends, we saw that for people that had already used prior, there were a few marked differences. Mm. Um, one being surprisingly, uh, people were concerned about the amount of waste Yes. Uh, and that was surprising, but usually it seemed that government issued cannabis products were very um, overly packaged. There was a lot of plastic yeah. that was kind of for nothing because at the end of the day, they're really just, it's like leaves. It's like there, there's other ways to package it other than having like 
the product wrapped in plastic, put in a plastic box, and then shipped in like a container that has like more styrofoam inside or something. Mm-hmm. Like there's just many, many layers for a product that at the end was like fairly simple. And it's like we're adding all this waste to all the ways that like everyone already generates on a day-to-day basis. And if I if I may, Usman, not only we're talking about waste, but also for habitual users, um, government dispensaries didn't have as ma- as many strains as um, those habitual users could have found in the streets prior or can still find the streets. So that was also uh, something that I found particular. Yes, now you can go to those stores and, and buy, buy weed and it's legal and everything, but there's not as many options as, you know, one can find in the streets. Also, price-wise, I don't know if you yeah, want to talk about that, like, price-wise. There aren't as many strains, but what they do have is more expensive mm-hmm. than what some people could find with um, a particular resource person that they used to go to prior, like the person that they used to go to for cannabis would sell, send it at a lesser price and they would have more variety. So that is definitely something that um, that we see that apparently it's more expensive and they have less of it. So um, as we mentioned earlier, for someone that has less experience, it might be easier and more convenient to go to a dispensary. Yeah. But for a habitual user, there are a few barriers that are non-negligible. So we talked about waste. We talked about price, not as many strains, but also the THC sorry, levels are apparently much higher in the streets than you can find in the stores. So again, from the perspective of the habitual users, that is also something that, you know, they take into consideration. Some even prefer to continue to buy from, you know, the networks that they have established throughout the years, uh, then go to the government dispensaries because of the waste, because of the price, because of the quality, uh, not quality as in it's a bad strain, but uh, let's say the quantity of THC, for example. So all of these things for new users, um, those government dispensaries are are great. You know, if you want to start using, that's a good, sure, safe space to go. But for people who kind of already knew what they were doing, it's kind of like, okay, thanks for not, you know, making it criminal for me to be smoking weed out, but also no thanks. But on a slightly legal aspect, yeah. the the decriminalization, like the legalization actually, of uh, weed consumption doesn't completely pair with the other legislation set in place, especially considering where you're allowed to smoke yes. and designated areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... As we saw from people we've asked, there are so many restrictions on not being able to smoke at a certain distance from a building. Mm -hmm. And because usually they just pair weed with tobacco. And so places where you can't smoke cigarettes, you can't smoke weed. So most places that are like near the doors of certain shops and a lot of parks as well, they don't allow it. So then even though it is legal, if you, you can't necessarily go and sit in a park, you can't like most there are some streets where there's so many restrictions just like that entire street you can't smoke on it so that's definitely something that would uh would irk some people yeah so 
Interestingly, um, you bring up this I, this fact of not being able to smoke wherever you want. And initially in Quebec, which is something that we're seeing every single state in the states right now that's legalizing marijuana or any form of cannabis. Um, and most provinces have this statement in their laws that say you can smoke weed anywhere where you can smoke tobacco or you can use any type of weed product wherever you can use tobacco products. This is something that, you know, New York just came out with their legislation. They have it in there. Most provinces here in Canada have it in there. Um, and with the amendment uh, in Quebec to the Quebec legislation, they actually removed that and said you cannot smoke anywhere in any public area. So no public park, no public building. Basically, you have to smoke in your house. Like that's pretty much all you have left. Um, and I think that this, again, it started off with you can't smoke X amount of meters away from a school or a playground. Mm-hmm which is something that we see in every type of, you know, anything that's regulated like prostitution or anything of the sort. We always have this X amount of meters away from parks, X amount of meters from daycares, from schools. And in a way, the government is kind of creating like a demon out of cannabis. Absolutely, It was supposed to be this great thing where it's legal. It's no longer scary to have it on you. It's no longer scary to say, hey, I smoke marijuana. I do it properly i do it in a in a good manner but now they're just they're peeling back at everything that they've given the youth and any citizen in quebec and they're making it back into this like prohibited substance yeah such as stigma forms around it exactly whereas even like a few years prior like there was kind of an understanding between like let's say law enforcement and people like you could go downtown and you can smell you know the smell of cannabis and you know festivals and whatever but now that it's legalized but like you said it's demonized at the same time so there's like that mixed message uh like you you so well uh portrayed it that okay so it's legal but also don't do it anywhere but your house but also let's say if you live in an apartment building or a condo you know there are some regulations that um the the Landlords can put together, whereas, like, okay, so in this building, we don't accept, uh, you know, any cannabis smoking or cannabis usage. So, um, kind of makes signals from the government there. <laughs> yeah, and you do bring up a really good point with the new user. I think that that uh, is a huge concern for the government because it's like, you know, what do you do when you turn 18 in Quebec? Odds are you're going to be like, go into the SAQ, get something to drink. It's like, it's fun. It's like a new privilege that you have. So if that becomes the same thing with the cannabis industry, you want to have these dispensaries that are not super appealing that, you know, maybe packaging being an issue for people of our generation is something that the government probably doesn't want to fix at this point, because it's like, hey, it's another reason why kids don't want to take it or purchase it. So it's like, I think that there are all these things that go around, like not promoting, not making it appealing um, and just protecting the youth that really have shaped this, the dispensary and the entire market in Quebec. Yeah, so I think you all brought us so many great points about um, regulation of use and preventing first time users as well um, in many forms and many factors that users might be um, considering. So um, let's go into more of the municipal rules and campus rules and regulations on on cannabis use or um, possession. What is that like for you, Katia Newsman, on campus and university? Um, What was your experience like? And do you feel like those policies are too 
those policies are too restricting or um, what effects uh, does those policies have on um, the student body? Um, well, I think it kind of ties into what we were saying earlier um, about the way that we we're like demonizing like the beast that is like cannabis now, because it's like it kind of extends past just schools and daycares, but also at our university, there's also like a certain like as much as you'll see students like either smoking or uh, smoking cigarettes or cannabis, they're still in our policies. It, it It's still very clearly against, right, Katya? Yeah, absolutely. So at least at the University of Montreal, where we go, um, it is forbidden to smoke in the buildings of the university, with the exception of the rooms in the residence. So people that are residents um, that live like near campus are allowed to smoke in their rooms. It's and- also forbidden, sorry, to smoke within nine meters of the entrances and exits of the building. So those are, that's some kind of regulation that we kind of see everywhere. So smoking nine meters away from buildings that also applies to the university. Um, not only that, uh, do you want to go ahead and talk about the, the enforcement of that? Sure. So there are like special constables appointed by the management of the university to see and to respect the tobacco act. And basically they, they just took, all the restrictions that were on tobacco and kind of just copy pasted it to cannabis. So everything that was not allowed with tobacco just kind of automatically applies to cannabis as, as if it's like the same thing, which I think just from like a scientific point of view, we can like agree that it just, it isn't. Um, And so there are like, our university bylaws impose like penalties and fines for various offenses. So we're talking about like, Uh, smoking in prohibited zones. So basically if you're like in a classroom for some reason, uh, breaking and tampering with the signs that say no smoking um, or uh, obstructing in any form the, the, the work of the people that are trying to enforce this tobacco act on the property. So there are fines that can go from like $85 all the way up to like $2,000. And like for students that $2,000 can be a hefty sum, especially if you have like your student fees, your your rent, your food, etc. Like that can really weigh you down. So I don't know if, I mean, because because those rules aren't like, I wouldn't say they're excessive. Like that's what we kind of see across the board that we see replicated in the universities. So um, again, with the no smoking uh, close to the building, people still kind of do it, but um, I don't know. I, how do you feel? How do you feel about like as a student? I, and, and we know we're kind of like the prime market for, you know, marijuana use. So. And I definitely feel like it kind of gives a power to like security guards and everything. Because like since they kind of see everyone doing it, the fact that they that they're kind of permissive on its enforcement on some people it kind of slides but then if there's like one specific person that they don't like for some reason or if for any type of bias whether it be uh sexual racial uh gender identity etc any form of discrimination like that just gives them an extra an extra power to just say oh well according to our rules that you're not allowed to do this so here's a fine even though they kind of let everyone do it, it's still a power that's, they have the power to potentially enforce it. So I feel like that's, that's just kind of up in the air in terms of enforcement, because if it's not applied to everyone, it kind of just is at 
it's very discretionary. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's so interesting because like, again, bringing in my legal experience in the States, but so in the States, there is a federal prohibition, but um, the basically federal cops are just not given any funds to prosecute for um, cannabis related issues in states where it's legal, which really gives officers like a power to just decide what they want to do. You know, like they're not given the funds for it, but hey, like if they really want to arrest someone, they can do it. Like, so I think that that's interesting how even though it's legal in Canada, you have all of these rules around it, but then officers are, again are just taking enforcement as like the supreme power and doing whatever they want with it. Um, that's really frustrating. And clearly there needs to be some type of movement to correct those issues. As you all have said, you know, the, the current system has a lot of power for folks who want to um, use their power um, of law um, to, you know, follow up with someone that is doing something that a lot of people are doing, um, even though it's technically legal. So do you think there is um, changes that need to be made in a certain way, of either, you know, in campus law or um, campus regulations or municipal law or federal law um, from either of your points of views from a legal expert or uh, being a student on campus, what, what changes do you want to see in, um, in the regulations and to, to prevent the current system that's happening? Um, I would say that at the end of the day, we're kind of, I think what, and this applies to kind of most sectors of law, but what most people are looking for is like kind of, be able to know what to expect from the law, mm-hmm. a more standardized approach. Like if this is illegal, I expect this to be illegal for everyone and not simply for the person that the officer in charge chooses it to be. Uh, I don't know if that was very clear. Um, but in terms of how that would be effectively applied, in that case, there would have to be some form of sanction for the officers themselves but then are we do we really want to start um sanctioning officers for not arresting someone who was doing something illegal just to make sure that they apply to everyone or would it just be considered too restrictive and then we just want to remove that type of policy that gives the power to arrest someone for smoking possessing etc Uh, weed on a school campus something that I also would like to change like we talked about it a lot like demonizing the usage um, with throughout the restrictions that uh, are in place right now kind of maybe um, having the restrictions be more similar to tobacco usage you know smoking cigarettes right now like if somebody does it you see them across the street it's like okay that's how it is even normal people usually even though somebody's smoking like cannabis it's like something that's regular but in regards to the law it's not really seen the same way so kind of normalizing it even though it's normalized amongst the people normalizing it um, like across legislation so that it's not um, regulation isn't as harsh and I don't know, 
more cohesive in regards to smoking weed, smoking cigarettes, kind of so that it's an even playing field for cannabis users and tobacco users, for example. Um, But I don't know. I feel like for me, what is super crucial um, is information. Why I love VoxCan so much is that you guys are really out here speaking to, let's say, first, you know, first time users or uh, habitual users, the same kind of educating us on on what this world of cannabis usage is. And I think that's so crucial. Yes, we talk about legislation, but um, at the core of it all, we find, you know, cannabis and cannabis use. So uh, there are a lot of kind of um, like people know, but people don't really know like what's really going on. Yes, in in regards to legislation, but also in regards to cannabis. So kind of um, educating oneself, educating others on the rules, on the regulations, but also on on the product itself is 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 crucial because there's so much to learn like and so much misconception like i didn't know that there that like all the different i thought just like different strains just had like different quote-unquote flavors but they also have different <laughs> like effects which is and like considering like someone with anxiety shouldn't necessarily take a certain type of strain versus uh someone with another or someone that is completely neurotypical like there are different these different strains have different effects and then one bad experience could really, could really mentally affect you. And that is something that you, you don't really hear just because there's still kind of a certain stigma, a certain cloud of secrecy around it. It's not really seen as, um, as something that people really talk about. And, and so you don't, and then that's how people, end up quote-unquote bad tripping and then they have like a traumatic experience with this product that if they had just known more about it ahead of time if they had known that okay for your first time maybe do it with someone that you really trust in an environment that you really trust so that you're not just in like the middle of a party where you don't know anyone and like all this stuff is happening in your brain and you're just kind of confused so it's really cool that like at the end of the day like Katya said it's like all about this information because like that's the main thing. It's a product you're putting inside your body. So you should know what's inside of it. And maybe that's also something that could be implemented in the curriculum. I remember when I was young, they talked about cigarettes. Of course, they demonize it and everything. But I had a little bit more knowledge of kind of what to expect. Now that we know, now that cannabis is legalized, now that, you know, we have government dispensaries, why not talk to the youth about it in their classrooms? Um, to to let them know, to give them the right information from the right source. Um, I feel like that's crucial, not only educating them on the product itself, but also on the regulation that um, that accompanies the usage of, of such product. I think that point of education is a really important one. And I mean, I, I know that right now discrepancies in the way that law enforcement carry out their duties and enforce the law is like a super hot topic. But I think there's this additional element of how it's it's just such a taboo right now and all of these like enforcement officers they're just like us you know like this is a new law this is something that's super new to them it's like still taboo to them as much as it is to anyone else in society so i think that um once like you know new officers coming in are trained and we add like like you say like in the curriculum and whatever they're doing to become an officer in the first place like if we add this element of like hey this is what 
cannabis means for our community right now, and like this is normal, this is okay, then maybe in a few years it'll take time, but maybe eventually like we'll get to that point where it's just like alcohol, where it's just like tobacco. And I just think that it's going to take a while. It's just like with, with alcohol at the start, you know, after the prohibition, it was still kind of like, Ooh, is that okay? Is it not okay? I think that with cannabis, it's going to be the same thing. And it's probably going to take a while. It's going to take until it's more legal like throughout the world until, you know, we have it set in stone that, Hey, like this is here to stay. That's really cool. Thank you all for bringing up the education point. As you know, that's like a huge pillar for us. Um, but yeah, I wanted to follow up on that aspect. Um, as you know, education is super important. And as Violin mentioned, um, you know, how alcohol is now treated and used in our society. Um, and a lot of folks like know about alcohol as at a young, very young age, um, because alcohol is so ingrained in, in our culture. So I wanted to ask, um, how can we for all three of you to answer, um, if you like, uh, how do you see education is integrated in, in a legal framework when, when you're introducing a new act or new law? Um, how do you integrate law? Uh, how do you integrate education well enough that, you know, it goes head in hand rather than a one step is too fast and the other one is catching up um, as we're facing right now? I mean, I could just speak to this in terms of law school. When I was in law school and I was doing my master's in environmental law, like this was a super hot topic. It was a new topic. And I think that um, the students' desire to learn is what pushed our faculty, um, you know, at the University of Ottawa and at Pace University in New York. It pushed the faculty to bring on legal experts who knew a lot about the different laws and who were ready to just educate us because that's something that we wanted and that we asked for. So I think that it's it's a bit of all sides. Every stakeholder has to show an interest and show a will to kind of meet everyone halfway and and get what they're looking for. So I think that um, it, it's good to bring in cool curriculums, cool options for students for, you know, put out ads in the media and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it's the people want to need to want to, sorry, People need to um, want to learn before we can teach them. I really like the. I really like what you said, but I would also like to add in that from like a societal point, um, it also the way it's like portrayed in media of like the I don't know the elegant um, heiress drinking a glass of wine versus the pothead in his garage hotboxing the car, like. Yes, there's always the trope of like uh, being stuck in a bar or whatever, but for the most part, social drinking has become a part of like of society. It's just like a thing. There's always we know it from like a young age. Oh, like your parents are just having like a glass of wine. It's fine. Like just the idea of like drinking, but like with moderation. And there's information like you. Everyone just kind of like before you even start to drink most people can like name you a couple brands of of alcohol like it's just things that as a society is just things that we know it's just oh okay it's like a fact like oh 
Um, I know that uh, the absolute is a type of vodka, for example, or like Malibu is a type of rum. It's like, this is something that we know, but we don't necessarily know much about weed or it's, we don't want to know as Violaine said, it's like, there is also just, do we, do we want, do, do the media portray the fact that we want to know more about it or do we kind of want to keep it into that whole, oh, um, it's like the lazy person that's smoking weed in his garage doing nothing all day that's kind of the the aesthetic the the image we have of the person that smokes weed and that kind of is what is like intensively pushed so that doesn't really incentivize anyone but i feel like the perception of society is changing and i think that the legalization of cannabis has helped like Mm -hmm. i'm going to speak on my own experience um before the legalization, even during, the thought of hearing the word cannabis made my mom want to clutch her pearls. Like, oh my gosh, what do you mean cannabis? These are criminals. They're going to purge my house. What do you mean? But now, <laughs> like now, you know, I feel like society has evolved. Um, the I feel like the generation that was really using have, has, you know, they've joined adulthood. They're now kind of in professional spaces and they realize, okay, so I can just be smoking weed and then during the weekend and I can go to work on Monday and I'm successful and I'm not a bum and I don't live in my mother's, you know, basement. Like this is something <laughs> that's okay. Um, I saw a clip the other day of uh, two parents like being like, okay, the baby's asleep. Like, do you want to go smoke some? And I was like, I would never have seen that like as as a child watching TV. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you mean? These are parents. These are responsible adults. They have a child. So I think that the society's perception has changed, which is why that cannabis was legalized, because the government was like, okay, so there's money to make on it. And if we do go ahead and make money on it and we we legalize it, we're not going to get stoned by, you know, the general population. So Mm -hmm the the desire is there to learn if i can echo um what you had stated earlier the desire is there i'd feel like um i guess it's for the higher ups to kind of let us allow us to discover that allow us to speak to people uh that have more experience on the matter i know there's a bunch of states um in the united states that have legalized you know marijuana it's been for, for a while so um let's say their lawyers are a little bit more knowledgeable on the matter but just listening to different perspectives uh being open to learn new things i think that's that has allowed um you know our faculties to to um explore different avenues in regards to what we thought was right you know cuz law kind of regulates you know law and moral and society's morals kind of go together like what society thinks is right so it should be legalized or demonized rather so i think there's a societal shift that has been progressing slowly but surely and i i definitely think we'll get there people have to want it to make it happen because if people really if there's a social push where people are like, we want to make it happen, the government is going to listen because the government is elected by by the people. So, um, yeah. So, like, we have on one extent alcohol ads on TV, like, whenever you're watching, and they're cool. They make you want to you know, like, go on a beach and have a beer. They make you think that you're going to be super bougie if you have, like, this one type of wine. You know, they, like, definitely bring up good emotions. On the other hand, you definitely don't have any promotional aspects with cigarettes and tobacco um and i think a big part 
of like the issue in terms of adding fun or like not taboo vibe commercials with marijuana and cannabis um is the fact it's like difficult because you have these products that look boring they're just so like they're they're not supposed to entice good emotions so how would you see that going about to make it like personally i think right now if we had an ad for the sqdc products i don't think it would make anything look good or like i think it would still it looks like worse than a pack of pills or i don't know like what do you think about that i think it could be very interesting if the people in charge get creative yes and that is if instead of going for the traditional um smoking they just expanded into everything else because the quebec selection of edibles like we've seen we've spoken to people it's it's kind of a joke yeah um, some tea bags yeah like compared to even like just ontario our neighbors it's like we have much less but there are restrictions to how much people can like take from one province to another people don't know if they're allowed to send it from one province to another um and they and like other provinces just have more um like more options but like in terms of marketing it could be more interesting if there was like various types of candies a uh, uh, weed hot chocolate like there yeah. you know like there are ways because it at the end is just like it's it's an it can be an oil it can be just uh, an essence so at the end we can do a lot of it and like really the limit is just how much how much people really just how what can you imagine I think it really, really have to be creative with it and they just have to have a vision of 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 where they think cannabis will lead us and not that like grandpa you know traditional view of you know that kid in the basement like you so beautifully <laughs> portrayed um but get creative with it I don't think it's I don't think it'll be boring sure like you know I know drinks you can have you know drinks that glow in the dark and whatnot you can have fun with it but I believe that you can still have fun with marketing cannabis it really comes down to the vision that someone can have um about how they they think they can portray or how they would like to portray it like there were cotton candy flavored usb keys filled with nicotine (laughs) and we just let that slide and that was (laughs) very popular for like a couple years like we really had kids just sucking on a usb key that was filled with nicotine but the only difference was that it tasted like pineapple and suddenly it was okay it was a hot selling point so like if we can do that with like just nicotine that has no real good properties except that occasionally helping someone with anxiety i think there's definitely like a lot to be said about what we can do with cannabis which is much more versatile you know it's not like someone's gonna go ahead and like eat a nicotine flavored cake you know yeah unfortunately i guess sorry go ahead so unfortunately right now as it as like the legislation stands in Quebec, edibles um, that are sweet are not okay. They're not allowed. Um, again, that's to protect the youth. People think that if a kid sees a candy, a gummy, or a brownie, they're going to want to go and eat it, um, which is really odd because savory um, edibles are permitted. So I guess you can make some popcorn, no caramel popcorn, cheddar popcorn maybe. Um, but yeah, that's that you could always maneuver the law there's always a loophole somewhere 
Uh, but I completely agree with what you're saying. That's definitely interesting because that's not something I, I, I was aware of, that there was a distinction between like sweet and savory. Um, mm. And it's weird that then all those candy-flavored uh, vape pens and jewels were allowed. Um, but I guess that's fine. Um, but- I wanted to ask too, Violin, like, is there any regulation on marketing um, for cannabis? Uh, yeah. So everything in Quebec in terms of marketing, um, anything that would reach a child or a young adult under 21 uh, is technically illegal. So if they were to go on TV, for instance, they would have to go on like TV channels where kids would not be typically watching TV on that channel. Um, They cannot do it close to schools in like shopping malls. If it's close to like toy stores or whatever, it can't go there. Um, so yeah, it's it's really difficult when you think of it to have any type of promotion that wouldn't reach someone who's 20 years old. I mean, 20 year olds are everywhere. Um, so yeah, that is a huge hindrance in terms of marketing and branding and promotion. So I just wanted to kind of go into like a provincial lens, um, you know, how Quebec's revision of the Cannabis Regulation Act has um, the legal age changed from 18 to 21 years old. Um, do you think this reflects the the, the social, um, well, I guess the, the social um, needs of Quebec as a province? Um, is that kind of an alliance of uh, what's going on, what, what folks are thinking in Quebec? Um, maybe Katya and Uzma, you, you can chime in on this. Um, do you think that kind of match up versus the other provinces? I'm, I'm speaking from what, what I perceive and understand. Um, I don't know. Could you say that Quebec is kind kind of uh, conservative conservative compared to the rest of Canada? Yes. Okay, so I'm not crazy to say that. So I feel like Quebec is a very conservative province compared to the rest of Canada. So if we take on the regulation, even changing the age from 18 to 21, that's not something that really surprises me. Um, a lot of everything that is protecting children like why like it's very much protecting the notion of the education like the education that the state wants children to have and because at the end of the day like if you're a parent it's your job to check on your kid like like there's a reason why other provinces aren't doing it like they're expecting that if you're like a reasonable adult that had a child you're not going to let your cannabis gummies on the floor where your toddler can just walk up and eat it because toddlers put Legos in their mouth. So at a certain point you need, we need to also take into consideration the fact that like the state is entering people's homes and to a certain level dictating the way they want it to be. And I mean, it it is what it is, but the social perception kind of, reflects what the state is doing that a lot of people still have a certain apprehension but i feel like that so that perception is is the perception of the older generation but they're the ones in power because they're the ones in power so it's their perception of cannabis use you know because we um, still have old men making decisions for a population that's mostly young i mean 
hate to see it, but it's true. So you have those traditional perceptions of cannabis use, you know, associated with laziness, associated with crime, associated with all those negative things. And those are the people that are in power. Those are the people that are in charge of legislation. And this is what these regulations that we see today is what we, you know, that's what we see. So, you know, you know, it's taboo now. Uh, regulation is is harsher in Quebec. I ca- it really speaks to the perception of the older generation. But because even though the younger generation were here and we have a different understanding, a different perception, um, where we're stuck dealing with the the consequences of um, that past thought or thought process. Or can I say that? Okay. That's that's really interesting because, as you know, the alcohol legal age is 18 versus the rest of the province. Well, some of the provinces in Canada is 19. Do, do you think that also kind of reflects the alcohol um, consuming culture, um, alcohol consumption culture in, in Quebec? Or Quebecers love to drink. Y'all, I I speak as an immigrant. I was born here, but y'all, I cannot throw a bottle of beer faster than my good Quebecers. Okay, I was shocked. Them, I, listen, them really taught us. Listen, they're not playing around with their alcohol. I had read somewhere that um, com- like, you know, when they compare the number of bars to the number of uh, uh, people that live in a certain area? Bars per capita? Bars per capita. There was a little city around Quebec that had the most, that had the largest, largest bar. The, 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 the highest ratio. The highest ratio. And it was like, it was like more than three, four bars per per habitant, per per person. And I was like, y'all love to drink. And we see you guys this as a society, the Quebec society, people love to drink. That's why people can go and buy beer and go to La SIQ and buy and buy a bottle of beer, buy a bottle of Moscato um, at the age of 18. And speaking on especially like their apprehension towards children. A lot of friends that I have here in Quebec, like most of them, most of the time when I was like, oh, like when's the first time that you drank, they're like, oh yeah, like when I was like eight or nine, like my dad, like let me try a sip of his wine or something. Like it's just, apparently it's like more normal to just like. Aren't you allowed if you go out with your parents to a restaurant and um, the parent is there, they can let you like kind of drink. I don't know how, what age you have to be, maybe 12 or 14 or something like that. Am I crazy? Am I dreaming? I, I think you're right, but that might I, be a myth. But for the actual legal backing, I would not pronounce myself on that. I won't say anything. <laughs> Y'all can cut that myself. out. Listen, I, I thought I heard that. Anyways, I'm fine. Um, t- listen, Quebec people love to drink, and it's normalized, and that's why regulation is much more lax compared to cannabis. It's not a bad thing. It's just a fact. It's a fact. But I think we just have to change the perception of cannabis usage so that the regulation is 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 something that, you know, is more reasonable if one would find the regulation that's in place now not reasonable, which I think that we do. There's some, we have, we have some issues with regulation that's in place right now. Um, and I feel like changing the social perception of, of cannabis, of cannabis users, it's a slow process, but it's a process that needs to be done. And it's a process that's, that's eventually going to be done as you know the new generation um you know 
gets in power and starts, you know, doing the things, doing the things. I mean, I think it's uh, crazy how everyone in the other provinces say, you know, you're allowed to vote at 18, but you're not allowed to drink until you're 19 in those provinces. Um, and I think for once, Quebec got that right. Uh, and then now with cannabis, they came around and like went to the whole other extreme. Um, and they're saying that you have to be 21 uh, to do anything in the cannabis industry, which is um, kind of crazy to me. I completely agree with what uh, you all said. Um, and I do think that it will most likely be uh, struck down at least to 19 um, in the coming years. I just wanted to add really quickly um, something that I found was was interesting. Uh, we know that in the States, um, in the United States, the age for drinking is 21. So it's 21 and over versus in Quebec, it's 18. And it's become apparent that um, a lot of the youth in the United States like go crazy in regards to alcohol versus here, even though the age um, to drink is is lower, we're a little bit more, you know, more chill once we get to that 21 year of age versus them. Now they're allowed to drink and they go absolutely crazy. So maybe um, having that, having cannabis be legal for starting at 21, at 21 years old, isn't the best thing. Maybe starting younger would be maybe um, beneficial so that we can get you to be um, used to the products, used to the whole process of buying um, so that at 21, we don't go crazy over this, um, this new discovered treasure that is cannabis. But, but the effects are very different. That's true. Like alcohol mostly lowers your inhibitions. So it would, so like it's easier to go crazy. Oh, that's true. It Whereas, also affects like, the brain differently, right? Indeed. It, it affects the brain differently. I think that's why. I think that's one of the reasons why they, they, brought, it they, they brought it up to 21. Because cannabis affects the developing brain. And at 21, your brain is developed enough for, for uh, government to feel like it's fit for us to be using. So my whole point is not. But it's interesting. It's an interesting point, nonetheless. I'm glad you brought that up because um, alcohol actually does also affect, you know, the developing brain. So both both have an effect, obviously um, different effects because they're different substances. Um, but yeah, I also wanted to just ask if, um, sorry, Violet, <laughs> I just wanted to ask you two again, you know, how does this... Um, how do the youth feel about this legal age? As you know, some youth in, in America, they're in the United States, maybe may go crazy on alcohol after 21. Um, and so do you see like this, if, if the age has changed from 21 to 18 um, for weed consumption in, in Quebec, do you see that would serve the youth needs more? Um or would it, you know, not change anything? Um, I think that at the base, before access information, mm-hmm. I still find it still crucial. Like, whether you give it at 21 or 18, if people don't know what they're getting into, by the time they actually get into it, like, I think there's still a certain level of danger. Like, there's still always the risk that you're going to have, like, 
a strain that isn't compatible with you. Like at the end of the day, it is there are different substances that affect you differently depending on like your own constitution. But I would like to submit to your consideration that young people, at least I don't know about y'all, but we learn by experience more than, you know, <laughs> by True. what we're told. Trial so error. trial and error. So yeah, sure, you're telling me all of this, but I want to try it. And I want to see for myself. So education, of course, is 100% crucial and necessary, whether the legalization age um, or legal age of usage is 18 or 21. But um, I feel like if we do lower the age uh, where we allow consumption, um, it'll 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 enable 18 year olds to try it out for themselves and and have those experiences and have that trial by error understanding kind of the differences concretely and practically uh, versus like kind of reading about it online or having a workshop about it um because you know words are nice but like you're 18 years old like okay you're telling me all of this but i want to try all it right but i'll take your trial and error and i'll raise you the fact that we know that jumping off a bridge could break all your bones yes but people still do it. But because they know that it'll break all their bones, they take the necessary precautions. Like there's a rope, there's a parachute, there's a mat, there's something. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's obviously an extreme. But I mean, if you know that if you're an anxious person, you shouldn't take this particular substance or you shouldn't take this particular strain, maybe you'll still want to try But instead of trying it out at a party from a shady stranger when you don't know anyone, you might want to do it in your own home with a couple of friends that you trust. So the trial and error is still there, but they have the information to do a calculated risk. So I think information and trial go hand in hand. So I think it would be beneficial to have the age uh, lower to 18, but with that with that change with that shift have more education out there about cannabis and can, cannabis usage in the schools in the CJEPs where those 18 year olds could be so it might not be for tomorrow to have the age age lowered to 18 but put in place the necessary you know precautions put in place um uh you know the the good the curriculum that's needed for youth to be well informed and then maybe lower it. But I also think that transparency is required. Because mean? when they went, because it originally was 18, right? Yeah. And I've already, I, I went to the SQDC when I was 18, just to like scope out the place, see like, okay, what's the fuss? And then like, du jour au lendemain, it suddenly was like, okay, it was 21 but I had no idea why. And a lot of people didn't know why. And like, I guess you would have to like go and check specifically like the regulations, the regulations, like the reason that they gave. But I feel like a lot of teens just were suddenly told, oh yeah, it was 18, but now it's 21. And that's just final. But I feel like that has more to do with how um, that information is accessible, not only in regards to cannabis regulation, but all regulations and all laws. Like, let's not lie to ourselves. Like, as law students, we can tell you, like, (laughs) this, (laughs) it ain't simple. Like, reading, going to find, you know, legislation isn't, isn't the easiest thing if you're not, if you don't know what you're looking for. If you find it, reading it 
you, it, you know, sometimes you read it and you and you don't even understand. After three years of law school, I can admit sometimes I don't understand what people be saying. So um, I don't know. Being more transparent, but kind of um, a better access to a better access and kind of um, I don't know explaining explaining it better explaining the regulations better explaining the laws better so that people can be well informed but i think that's not only problem that that is is you know that we can give to oh cannabis regulation that that's all regulation all laws uh, in my opinion have that kind of issues of accessibility of uh, of comprehension it's really not really accessible to the common man to the common mortal so I wanted to third to you, Violin, um, as the points brought up by Katia and Usmang, you know, access to those laws and uh, transparency, but also having, you know, education, informative um, workshops for youth going hand in hand. Like, how are these things embedded into law when regulations are, are introduced or amended? Um, has there been successful examples of this happening uh, before? Well, I mean, these are all really good points. And I do think that this issue of like being able to understand the law kind of points towards like an older age to allow people to start using, um, especially since, you know, when you're 18 in Quebec, you're probably in CJEP or graduating CJEP. Uh, when you're 21, you're probably if you do decide to go that route and are in university, you're probably finishing up a degree or close to it. So you probably have more of an ability to understand like the law and look through it. But um, one thing that Quebec actually does amazingly is if you go on encadrementcannabis.gov.qc.ca, they have this like really good, just like explanation of like what the regulation is on cannabis, what the amendments have been. And like, they just, they do a great job at like building out the big picture of the law. Um, and I think that like, you know, they add 21 plus and big, like they have a park with a no smoking sign. Like they definitely do it to, to try and make the like younger population and just like people who don't understand law as much know what their rights are and what they're allowed to do and not allowed to do. Um, I just think that it becomes a point where, you know, you have this great resource, you have kind of like a mini toolkit, but no one goes on this website, no one looks at it. So I think that you need to either like, you know, post it, um, have like a Montreal blog or something like that, have like a story going through it, you know, these are nice, it's displayed nicely, you can easily have uh, a cool Instagram post or something like that on it you know you need to just uh, find a way to publish it elsewhere where people are going to see it and understand and then even then like maybe it'll make people understand more why hey this makes sense like 21 year olds will understand this 18 year olds won't so um yeah I mean Quebec has all the great tools I think they just need to figure out a way to have those tools reach the population better I just wanted to say real quick, I completely agree with you. And I think that sometimes the government underestimates kind of what the youth can understand because they're not in the places that 
where they can reach us and by place where they can reach us I say on social media and on Instagram like I don't know a 20 year old or an 18 year old that doesn't have Instagram like okay you don't have Facebook but you have Instagram maybe it's not active you have a burner account but you are on Instagram so like you said reaching out to um, MTL blog reaching out to Quebec influencers even just you know having nice infographics on uh, Instagram explaining these things in simple terms would go a long way. So I think that, I don't know, um, is there a lot, I don't know if there's no desire to really be reaching out or maybe people are, don't know where they can find the youth and the best ways they can, they can um, communicate with them. Uh, I guess uh, this is kind of a call for, for help to the youth that actually want to be part of, you know, uh, the, the different uh, political parties to kind of bring a shift uh, in dynamics um, to let people know, like, yo, the youth are on Instagram, like, have a nice, have a government of Quebec Snapchat account, you know, <laughs> and have those little cute cannabis ads and uh, or, or factoids. Um, that's definitely something that we can do, because like you said, um, I don't know an 18 year old that's going to go on, you know, cannabis.government.org and look something up, you know, and that's not where we're at. The only cannabis information like ads you see are like, don't smoke and drive. Like, that's it. Like that, that is dramatic ads where the it, guy yeah, is it's like oh. Mark was a play was like drinking with his friends. And then suddenly they were like missing ice. And he's like, don't worry. Like, I, it's a very vivid, like I, Listen, mine is the one that's driving on the highway and he's like, clearly he's high out of his mind. Then you see the cannabis leaves slowly creeping up, taking the wheel and just diverting the car into a truck. I'm like, you guys have the money. You guys have the intention to make this beautiful, you know, cinematic, traumatic art piece. Like, make a post on Instagram, y'all use canva use at you know photoshop anything there are free trials you can find just a few clicks just a few words and we'll be there i understand that you know there is of course a goal for those those ads you know to make people know that you know driving while uh, under the influence is not the best thing you know can cause a lot of damage but also i want to see that same energy with you know education because i i don't think that that energy is matched yeah, um, that's a great point that you brought up. And and those ads have been uh, pretty funny to me just because I feel like as a user, you know that that's not the effect of, of smoking. Like leaves don't just come out um, in your vision. But um, yeah, I wanted to follow up on that. And um, so I wanted to ask, do you think that the, the information that's available to youth on cannabis um where where is that available um at all or or do you have you ex- in your experiences um where do you see these information available um and where do you usually seek that information and as you know we have um SQDC instead of dispensaries in, in Quebec um do you for your network or friends or people you know um do they seek information from this uh, from SQDC is that helpful It's a lot of word of mouth. Um, it's a lot of um, my friend's friend told me. 
And I feel like amongst the youth, that's something that's very popular. There's a bunch of networks like, hey, I'm I'm thinking of doing that. Like, oh, that girl, I know that she does that, you know, often. Let me see what she has to say about it. Let me send her a quick DM. Okay, so like, what's up with what's up with the cannabis? You know what I mean? So it's not a lot of let me go on Google and see what the government has to say about that. It's more like, hey, yo, like my cousin, he has a friend and, you know, he be doing stuff. Let me see what's up with that. Um, so a lot of word of mouth, a lot of my friend's friend said, my cousin's goldfish owner said. Um, Everyone's benefiting from each other's trial and error. And because that's like real testimonies rather than whatever's being manufactured online. You never yes. know. You also don't know how it'll affect you personally. Whereas you, if you know like, oh, someone else who has anxiety like me tried this and that really... Uh, reacted poorly with them so maybe I should try another one that has more of a calming effect or something and like that way it you also just feel more secure in knowing that like someone you know has tried it and so you're not just going in blind and it's more reassuring uh hearing those testimonies uh from people that you know or at least you know acquaintances than from the government that clearly kind of doesn't want us to smoke (laughs) weed from all of these commercials, those, you know, horror movies. Um, Hearing it from a friend's friend is much, much more reassuring than hearing it from the government who, whose delivery is a little drier, a little bit more stern, a little bit more, you know, scientific. So maybe a way to, to change the script um, would be to have, you know, habitual cannabis users, you know, speak about their experiences and speak about what they like um, in a way that's, you know, that can be uh, informal, informal, informative more than a cautionary tale. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So I have another follow up question. I'll turn to you, Violet. Um, So I just wanted to ask then in terms of, uh, you know, where people get the weed from, um, do you think that also contributes to why folks might stick with their other sources in the SQDC uh, if they're regular users, as you mentioned before? Absolutely, 100%. Habitual users, I feel like they're sticking to what they know because uh, they have developed such a tight-knit network that they trust because the price is better, because there's more varieties and edibles and whatnot, I feel like they're sticking to their guns versus new users might see the appeal of uh, the SQDC because they don't have that network and they have no, let's say, um, you know, no knowledge of who to go to to maybe kind of, you know, get their foot in the door. Um, if we're talking about cannabis usage, what do you think? But if you're also, if you also just compare the SAQ to the SQDC in terms of like the selection, if you've ever been to like the SAQ Entrepôt, it's like the wonderland of alcohol. There's huge boxes and it's not that expensive. And like you can get pretty much anything. It's way less, like, yeah, it's less expensive. And there's like so many other things. So you can see it in many forms. You can see, you can find beers, you can find a hard liquor, wines. You can even find like some chasers, some like there, I'm pretty sure there's some cocktail mixes. There's even like, there's a lot versus SAQ where there's just uh, SQDC where there's only like a couple options. 
in that case, in that sense, people will go to like what they know when you take into consideration that it's more expensive, lower THC content, and like less amount of overall strain. Like when you compare those two, it's it's incomparable. Like people will stick to what they know and what's less expensive because they're not just going to go fund that. Like why? Why go to Costco? No, why go to Kushtal if you go to if you could go to Costco at this point? Also, one of our friends had said that um, the community that they had built, strangely enough, around like finding like oh who has the best edibles or who has the best you know strain of weed, that community like was was a strong community and something that they had cherished and that they had built kind of over the years. So that's also something to take into consideration. Like, I know these people and, you know, we text kind of regularly, yes, around cannabis use and cannabis products, but like, this is kind of a community that we've built. So the government is coming in with their new store and it's kind of lackluster and it doesn't have all the perks and the bells and the whistles that, you know, of that the products that I kind of found in my network have. So I don't know, a lot to take into consideration. So yeah, I think. Oh, I was sorry. just going to ask. Oh, sorry. Um, so Violin, do you think um, maybe the dispensary system is a good intermediate? Um, like, why do you think um, the Quebec government has pursued with the SQDC uh, system rather than the dispensary system like Ontario? Um, do you think there's like a good reason for that, or that may change? I mean, Quebec is not out of the norm here with having government-ran dispensaries. About half of the states are doing that. Um, but I, I do think that they did this because it's what they know. They have the SAQ. They've already done this with alcohol. So it makes sense to do it with um, weed as well. And Ontario kind of like flip-flopped around both for a while and now has a weird hybrid approach where like there are some government-ran ones and there are some privately-ran ones. Um, But I do think that if you just look at the market, um, you can see that online you can find Montreal dispensaries that sell edibles, like they sell lollipops, they sell brownies, they sell everything. And like technically that's illegal. And the government in trying to take control over all of this is technically making them liable slash they're making their own selves liable to like significant charges. um, And basically they're just trying to give the people what they want so i think that perhaps the governments should go look and see that you know there are privately run technically illegal businesses that are selling edibles and maybe they should let that happen i mean if it's supply and demand and clearly there's a high demand interesting um yeah i wanted to also just give the floor for um kathy and guzman did you have more questions um for violin or just anything else you want to mention um before we wrap up in in a few minutes yes uh violin you said not not that you said but you are part of the hemp alliance of tennessee um yeah could you tell us a little bit more about that because i had never heard of of such an alliance before Right. So, I mean, I don't know if you are aware, but in 2018, um, the U.S. Like, federally adopted the um, Farm Bill, the 2018 Farm Bill, which legalized hemp. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, so, yeah, so they legalized hemp and they define that as anything that has 0.3 percent um, or less of Delta 9 THC, which is something that Canada does not discuss. Canada 
uh, fully legalized cannabis without mentioning Delta 9, Delta 8, Delta 10. Um, so in Tennessee, we have the Farm Bill and then we have no state law saying that cannabis is legal. So what we do is like we work with um, mainly CBD companies to maneuver the laws and figure out what they can and can't do. And what's interesting is that there's a new craze in the States over Delta 8, which is um, basically has the same effects as Delta 9, but it's not illegal. There's just nothing on it. So right now we're dealing with that. There are certain states that are coming in and saying like, hey, this is not legal. We're not going to allow this within our borders. And these are states like Colorado, where weed is legal, but they're saying no to Delta 8 because we have no clue what this is. So, yeah, so we have basically a really weird market right now in Tennessee where we're seeing it at gas stations or seeing it on like stands on the street um, and all the CBD dispensaries, you know, Delta 8 is everywhere. So we're trying to just like figure out how do we deal with this? You know, it's it's a super lucrative market. Over 80 percent of sales of most CBD stores are from Delta 8. Um, So, yeah, we kind of deal with that. We deal with um, any type of business that does anything hemp related. Uh, For instance, right now in my firm, we're working with a really cool blockchain uh, software that shows from seed to sale where your product is coming from in terms of hemp, um, which is becoming really cool because it's showing you like, hey, this is Delta 8, but it's actually coming from hemp and it's legal. That's super interesting. I didn't even know there were that many... (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay that's crazy but wow that's do you think that's something that because you said that in Quebec like we we just legalize cannabis like through and through um is that something that you think later on let's say if Quebec gets even more restrictive than they are now that's something that they might want to you know take a take a swing at I mean I think that eventually Quebec if Delta 8 becomes big in Quebec then they're going to want to regulate it you know there's such a lack of understanding of what the effects could be like how you know when you get weed now in the SQDC they tell you like hey this is indica it's going to make you super relaxed or like hey this is sativa you're going to be hyper or if you want something in between they can offer you that with Delta 8 I think that's really difficult because it's still really unknown so I think that If it were to start being sold in Canada, Quebec would definitely limit the sales. Um, And a huge part of that is because they don't need to allow Delta 8. You know, you already have Delta 9 legal. Why are you going to go complicate things? So this has been Coco Wang from VoxCan, joined with Katia and Usmang from uh, University de Montréal, and Violent Panashi, attorney from Rockridge Mentor Law. And I want to thank our audience for listening to this episode and staying interested in our projects and being supportive of the work that we're doing here. Um, Please check out our website, boxcan.org, to learn more about us. And stay tuned on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter as well. This episode is produced by Ape Cable, and our project is supported by Public Health Montreal and GRIP. Thank you for listening, and see you next time.